This is the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain. Ecologists that study population biology of plants and animals often use matrices that quantify life stages and probability of transitions among stages. These matrices are relatively similar, so it can be compared among species. Miguel Franco and Jonathan Silvertown started organizing a database of these matrices a few decades ago. This database has grown and is now being maintained at the Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research. I got a chance to chat with Rob Soguero Gomez, who is currently maintaining the database, as well as Miguel and Jonathan. Hal Caswell, a collaborator on the database, joined as well. My name is Rob Saguero Gomez. I'm a postdoctoral fellow here at the Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research. This is based in Rostock, Germany. And I am currently the curator and the supervisor of a team of uh, students who are digitalizing uh, a lot of demographic information in the shape of projection matrices and integral projection models, as well as their covariates. And this is done for both plants and for animals. Right. And uh, Jonathan, can you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Jonathan Silvertown. I'm at the Open University in the UK um, with Miguel Franco. Um, I started what is now called Compadre One or Uno, I suppose. Um, uh, at the time we started it, we had no idea it would um, spawn a Comadre. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, and uh, Miguel? Uh, Miguel Franco, I'm at the University of Plymouth. Uh, I've been here for uh, 12 years now. Um, I started at the National University of Mexico in Mexico City, but I've been here for, for a while now. Uh, I am a population e ecologist, uh, mostly plant population ecologist. I did my PhD with John Harper in Bangor many years ago. And uh, my interest uh, in uh, Population ecology are quite wide, so they cover from uh, 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 life history evolution, population dynamics of endangered plants, uh, and, and aspects of conservation. Uh, and as Jonathan said, uh, we, we together started the, the first compadre uh, sometimes in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. And how? Uh, uh, my name is Hal Caswell. Uh, I am at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution in Massachusetts. I'm a mathematical population ecologist. Um, a lot of my work for a long time now is focused on the development of demographic models, particularly matrix population models, and applications to all kinds of organisms. I think we could maybe start with a little bit of history. Um, uh, Miguel and Jonathan, maybe together you could tell, tell us in brief a little bit about how Compadre got started and, and what was the inspiration. Uh, a famous Mexican ecologist called Jose Farrakhan uh, went to study um, for a PhD with John Harper back in the 70s. And he did one of the first, I think this is right, how one of the first um, population matrices for a plant um, population. In fact, he did it for three species. Um, what happened was that when Sarukhan went back to Mexico, he started sending students to work in Bangor to get their PhDs. 
Uh, Miguel is one of those. Um, and so this, this kind of um, bridge across the Atlantic uh, developed for plant population biology between Bangor in North Wales and Mexico City. And at some point I crossed that bridge uh, with the help of the British Council. Um, and uh, to cut a long story short, Miguel and I started doing research together. As Miguel has, has reminded me, um, over a couple of beers, the, um, <laughs> the, the key words uh, comparative plant and demographic research seem to uh, form themselves into the, into the acronym COMPADRE. Um, uh, and that, that's how we came up with the name. Um, I think the thing that we did that was um, important and made made it such a success is we found a way of we we, we found a way of comparing matrices. So uh, I say we've, I'm being cautious about this because uh, we didn't really invent any methods. We simply realised that something could be done. Um, so we realised that elasticities, because they sum to one. Um, can be used to uh, compare species, um, even if the dimensions of the matrix matrices for different species are different, and so on. Um, and so, using that simple idea, um, we divided a sort of ideal matrix into six regions representing different life history processes, um, re reduced those into a set of three, uh, compared those with Grimes triangle in a paper in. Was it 92, Miguel? 92, uh, yep. Uh, and, and sort of uh, compiled a database in order to, to make the comparisons. And before I shut up, I'll just say that the, the, the sort of inspiration for me, in a way, was I did my PhD at the University of Sussex, where Paul Harvey was working on comparative methods. Um, and uh, so these were the early days of comparative methods in... Um, in, in, in mainly in animal behavior and things like that, um, and animal life histories. Um, and so I was interested in, in applying similar methods to plants. Um, and so it was kind of natural, really, to think about doing it for, for photography, because that was what I was interested in. Now that we've got a bit of history, um, Rob, I understand that you've been sort of adding to these databases. I wonder if you could give us a, um, an idea of, of, of the size of them currently. Yeah, so um, this started back on my second year PhD. I did my PhD at the University of Pennsylvania with Brenda Casper, and I was interested in um, general demographic processes such as growth or shrinkage, the, the, the fact that plants as modular organisms can decrease in size. And I knew this to occur in my study system in, in a desert in the U.S., but I wanted to know how general this pattern occur across the, the plant kingdom. So I, of course, have read the influential papers by uh, Miguel Franco and by Jonathan Silvertown. I, um, I guess I was a bit shameless, and I approached the two of them via email, and I asked him for a copy of the database. And I have to be honest here, I was expecting a, a lack of response. But uh, much to my surprise, um, they both got back to me. And um, two weeks later, I think, a package with a CD arrived in my mailbox in, in Philadelphia from, from the UK. And this, this was compadre that, was ha that had been sent to me by, by both Miguel and, and Jonathan. At that point, compadre, if I remember correctly, Miguel and Jonathan, please remind me, uh, contained about 100 species. 
So Compadre at that point contained for the most part the descriptors of the life cycles and the mean control matrices. And much of what I did during my PhD was to expand this uh, over the published studies that had taken place ever since. And when I came to my fourth year PhD, I, um, I think I had already attained some 450 species in the plant kingdom. Um, I was lucky enough to run into Hal Caswell at the ESA, um, and uh, as I explained in a previous email, this happened uh, when the main talks were taking place, so I definitely took advantage of the fact that Hal was not being cornered around by other folks, and I was just talking to him about matrices, and I mentioned that I had continued Miguel and Jonathan's work. Um, and Hal Caswell being associated with the Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research then made the connection. And I think that at that point I should really leave it to Hal to maybe tell us what will happen next. Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research is an um, institution devoted primarily to human demography, but its, um, its director, Jim Vopel, is very, very interested in uh, understanding things about human demographic patterns by looking uh, at evolution of of demographic traits and and making comparisons across a wide range of species and so uh, there is a there's a group there that um, that works on you know, sort of evolutionary biodemography and considers lots of different species while i've been visiting there i've been very impressed with uh, the use that human demographers have made of large and publicly available databases on the demography of humans in all different kinds of countries and areas and, and under different conditions. Uh, in particular, there was one called the Human Mortality Database that was being developed at the time as a joint project between the Max Planck Institute and the University of California at Berkeley. Uh, and it was revolutionizing, I think it's fair to say, uh, the, the study of human mortality because it meant that anybody looking for patterns had this publicly available collection of high-quality and standardized mortality data, and they could look over time, they could look across countries, they could look at different um, uh, economic conditions, all these kinds of things that... that human demographers look at. Uh, and they could do this easily and quickly and with and and make big comparisons. So when I found out that Rob was extending the, the databases that Miguel and, and Jonathan had created, uh, I thought, well, that sounds like something that would provide a similar thing for ecologists if it could be developed. I asked the folks at the Max Planck Institute, if they'd be interested in this, um, they said they would. I asked, I think I asked Rob if he'd ever heard of the Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research, and he hadn't. I said, well, you should find out about it. And so I was able to get uh, what, what ended up being an invitation for Rob to go visit, and then he turned that into a uh, position and a project. There's been a bunch of papers that have used this database for the, for the various versions of the, of the database. I um, wonder if Jonathan or Miguel or Rob could describe one of the, um, one of the, uh, one of the sort of important scientific findings from uh, the plant database. Um, I think the paper in 1993 that Miguel and I and our colleagues wrote mm -hmm. um, was 
was foundational. That was the paper in which we uh, applied the method I already described, which is which is essentially um, looking at the contribution of different parts of an elasticity matrix to to lambda um, uh, as as a way of trying to uh, compare species. Um, and I mean, in a paper like that, what seemed later on almost trivial things like naming different bits of the matrix for progression, retrogression, uh, and so on, um, kind of set up a terminology and a way of doing things that has been then now been used by, well, actually, um, probably Rob will tell, will, will, will have the number, but I mean, the paper has been cited, I think over 400 times, uh, journal of ecology has, uh, selected it as one of the top hundred papers published by the British Ecological Society in all its journals. Um, uh, so next year they'll be um, celebrating that paper along with the other 99 uh, in their centenary. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, certainly it kind of gave people interested in plant demography a way of comparing their results uh, with previous studies uh, with you know between populations and so on and so forth, so I, th- I think it, it kind of um, it gave people the tools to um, to use in comparative um, demography for, of plants, um, and um, we plotted the three the the the, the three principal elements. Uh, um, in a ternary plot, essentially, you know, a triangle. Um, and all sorts of things kind of came out of that. So uh, in 92, we published a paper which suggested that Grimes' um, CSR strategy um, scheme approximated to a demographic triangle. Um, later on, um, I compared different populations of the same species um, using that triangle and found that essentially during succession populations kind of move from the left-hand corner to the middle to the right-hand corner of the of the um, triangle. You could actually represent succession and things like fire and mowing and all, all kinds of things that affect um, populations. You could represent them uh, as trajectories in in that ternary plot, which was kind of neat thought, um, and then we published a paper which discussed using the same approach in conservation biology. Um, that's also been highly cited, um, and so I think it kind of you know as Miguel described earlier or, or inferred earlier, it kind of started in the in in the early nineties. There was a, but I think it was a paper of nineteen ninety three that really kind of um, Laid the foundations for for, for the for, for all, well the other things that happened, um, and I remember t- uh, how how it happened actually. I, I was on a very short visit to, to Mexico City, uh, to UNAM, and we were were desperate to sort of make something of of, of all these data we collected, and so Miguel and I sat around this huge sort of um, conference table that was in the uh, he, he had a very elevated position in, in the institute and he had a, a conference room next to his office with a big table and we covered it in papers and in about a week Miguel wasn't it I think we we kind of hammered out this paper and I remember saying to Miguel Miguel this is going to be really important yeah so so the in terms of the, the animal database I assume that has um 
been is a little more recent, and I wonder if, if any of you have, have published on that database and could describe any of the findings from that. So I, I, I guess I can, I can talk on that behalf. The database, when, when I came to the Max Planck Institute, all that I had in my hands was really plants. And uh, I have to defend that by saying that my, my formation, my education is in plant ecology and evolution. Naturally, you come to a center where most folks are thinking about animal demography with a particular interest in human demography. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that you get that interest out of osmosis, I suppose. And um, much to my surprise, one day I was just doing a search on Google Scholar and then ISI for projection matrices for plants. I typically do this so that I keep I, I keep track of what are the most recently published papers and they get added to Compadre 3. But then I changed the keyword and I introduced animals. And this was like about my first month of arrival here, a month, uh, sorry, a year and a half ago. And much to my surprise, I started finding hundreds and hundreds of papers in the animal kingdom. So um after a bit of tweaking and a bit of thinking i then decided to change the actual meaning of compadre from comparative demographic research database to comparative plant and algae demographic research so that takes care of the plants and the brown algae and decided to uh, spin off a sister database which is now called comadre which stands for comparative animal demographic research database. And the idea is very much the same. This database contains the projection matrices, the descriptors of these matrices for as many years, for the many populations and the different treatments that the different species might have been studied under, and also ecological, taxonomic, and biogeographic covariates associated with each of the species. Um, of course, Compadre 3 has been in the works for um, when it came to me, it had been in the works since the since the 90s, right? And so this database, the plant database, is a lot more advanced. We currently have, um, as of this morning, and this is the 3rd of uh, October, 2012, uh, 831 plant species, which is amazing because this allows us to really tackle very broad ecological and evolutionary questions. And as for the animal database, Comadre, we have 612 animal species. Let me uh, qualify that statement, though, because as Hal Caswell mentioned before, these databases, first of all, are not yet online. They will be coming out online throughout 2013. Um, and the fact that we have 612 animal species doesn't mean that they're all digitalized. What it means is that we have identify the papers, we have them in our intranet, and we have a small army, well actually it's not that small, we have uh, an army of eight students, which I refer to as the compadrinos, um, <laughs> digitalizing uh, all these materials. It seems like there's probably been some challenges in, in building the, the, the database, the databases, um, and those probably challenges are probably change through time. Um, so I wonder if, if you guys could sort of talk about some of the challenges of building a, a, a large database. Initially, we started it as a bibliographic database. And uh, then we would uh, uh, digitize the, the, the data mm -hmm. uh, because of the definition of, uh, of uh, what we consider a demographic paper at the time, which was a paper that contained 
at least one survivorship curve or data to, to build a survivorship curve for one species in its natural environment, uh, we, we soon realized that this was a monumental task, just uh, locating all the papers, especially as the literature started growing faster and faster in the 1980s, in 1990s, we realized that we couldn't keep up with, with that, just between Jonathan and I. And uh, very soon we decided to concentrate on uh, papers that contain uh, matrix models or that contain enough information that we felt confident to build the matrix model ourselves from the data in the papers. And, uh, but it requires a totally different uh, uh, kind of infrastructure to develop uh, a database of the kind that Rob has developed. Right. I think this, that is why the support, and I totally agree with Hal, uh, the, 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 the support of, uh, of an organization such as the Max Planck Institute to make this uh, database available and, and to, to have enough resources to digitize all the information that is there to digitize uh, is very very important. Yeah. So so Rob, what are the? It seems like we have the opposite problem now, where there's well, there's there's a lot more journals now than in the in the 80s and 90s, and um, and uh, it seems like there's is it hard to sift through all that that information? Um, well, it's actually relatively easy. What's what's um, what's a bit more complicated is managing managing the team. This is this is a pretty big team, and um, there's the the students who are digitalizing the database. Uh, we also have a collaborator in Maryland, um, Judy Casalo at the National Social Environmental Synthesis Center, who is helping us as well integrate information. So what's become a main concern, but I think we're dealing with it pretty decently, is avoiding the redundancy. Mm -hmm. We're certainly not the only uh, folks who came up with the idea of continuing uh, Miguel Franco's and Jonathan Silverton's work. There's other databases out there um, that have continued their work. Ours, although it's bad for me to say, I think is the largest one. Uh, and we finally got in a hold of the main databases. So we've managed to integrate all of the different databases. Um, just two weeks ago, I got a database from Brisbane in Australia that had been doing very redundant work with us. Um, so that's been a challenge. Another, another challenge is really keeping up with the publications, um, the projections of the number of publications that contain this information, either projection matrices or integral projection models, they don't seem to be slowing down. Uh, on the other hand, they keep on growing exponentially, which, which is really exciting for me. Um, because it means that people are really interested in these tools. They're finding them very useful to tackle ecological and evolutionary questions. And in the end, I think that Compadre and Comadre will really contribute a big deal to both ecology and evolution. Just a technical question, Rob. How do you deal with sort of data quality and sort of, I know like you have lots of different people collecting data. How do you deal with that? Well, there's um, a significant investment, particularly during the first months, in terms of mentoring. 
Um, I have to make myself available to them. I try to reply on the spot. They are effectively working physically in the institute, and so my doors are open to them. Um, there are some protocols put. That's that's on the side of what happens if the digitalizers have questions. Mm. On the side of error check-in, um, Owen Jones, also a, um, a scientist here at the Max Planck Institute, and I are developing some art routines that will flag when some demographic information that is being extracted from these matrices does not make sense. For instance, uh, the survival of any of the columns in a matrix should not be higher than one. Mm. And sometimes this happens, um, and that is most of the times due to the fact that in the paper the author doesn't clarify or we fail to identify what processes are due to sexual reproduction, clonal reproduction, and then changes in stage, conditional, and survival. Mm. If we don't do a good job at this, then um, deriving output that maybe some scientists are interested in, such as transient dynamics or uh, age-specific survival, will not be correct because you would be uh, confounding things that have to do with the contribution of established individuals, aka sexual and clonal reproduction, with the dynamics of the very established individuals, like survival. So we we have we have we're developing some protocols based on our um, packages that will take care of. Um, so, so you guys have been have collected a lot of data, and you've looked at sort of a lot of these these demographic matrix models. Um, has it revealed any lessons about how how ecologists collect demographic data? Sort of any any things that should be changed? Or I think the question of data quality is always going to be an issue because, uh, as Rob said. Quite often you look at the papers and all of a sudden one figure or more doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are always going to be errors. So the, the, the issue of errors is something that uh, you simply have to be careful about and try to spot them as you compile the database, but also as you use the, the information from a database. I've used other databases, for, uh, especially for uh, project students. Uh, I do get a lot of project students uh, doing uh, undergraduate dissertations here. And, uh, and uh, I often use uh, information from other types of databases for them to work on. And invariably, uh, as soon as you get some of the data uh, downloaded, you start spotting mistakes. Now, uh, that's something that uh, obviously needs to be looked at. Uh, but more importantly uh, is the, this question of structure, standardizing the structure of the database so that uh, the data can be used for all sorts of different questions is a difficult issue and, and an issue that needs to be discussed among uh, the people uh, responsible for, uh, for developing the database and, and, uh, and making it uh, public. Right. Um, so so in, in following along those lines about sort of lessons learned, do you think, do you, think you can, you know, suggest any lessons to ecologists about doing demographics research um, or is it or is it are all the sort of things you take away from the, the database construction just about you know the constructing the database you know what, what, what are things that, that people are doing in the field 
collecting this data? Are there things that you think should change? I don't think it is so much a, a question of uh, dictating how people should collect the data. Uh, I think uh, the variety of questions that people address uh, determine, quite often determine the way they present the data and the way they pro proce process the data. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes it difficult to standardize the, the information. Right. Uh, but uh, w w one could suggest gener a general framework uh, that would cover as many uh, issues as possible, uh, try to create the ideal format for a database. But, uh, but, but it is the nature of the information that uh, makes it uh, more complicated than, uh, than that. Right. Yeah. I was, I was just going to add exactly what Miguel is saying, so I'm, I'm very happy that he said it before because um, as a young scientist myself, when, when I started working at the interface of comparative demography and individual species demography in the field, which I, saw, which I have also done, I, I found myself almost wanting to um, tell people what to do, and, and that thinking is, is just completely wrong because... Um, People will build the models and people will collect the data in the shape that is more suitable for the questions and their logistical limitations. One thing that, um, if I may, I would though like to, to emphasize is the fact that the mean length of uh, the demographic status in Compadre is 4.5 years. That is, ecologists constructing matrix models. Um, I'm going to overlook integral prediction models for a second. Uh, ecologists focusing on matrix models are uh, pretty much adjusting to the tenure of a PhD in the U.S. Whether that is coincidence or not, I'm going to leave it to the audience to evaluate. Uh, and the other aspect is that for folks who are interested in comparative demography, and this again goes back to what are your questions, right? But for folks who want to draw from these databases and, and ask broad ecological questions, another caveat to consider is that the spatial replication of any one species studies is also not the great one. The mode is two sites, 2.3. And, of course, it's a very long tail, so there are studies that have replicated the same census in, in the field for over 18 populations, which is fantastic. And this will really take into account whether a plant species, in this case, has the ability to be demographically plastic or not. One of the concerns that I, as a comparative demographer, always have is are these levels of temporal and spatial replication large enough so that we can draw inferences from, from a database. And one of the things that I'm left with for the time being, um, unless uh, people collecting data uh, expand in time and space, is that it's we're just dealing with a massive amount of information, and we're hoping that, quoting one of the papers by Miguel Franco and Jonathan Silvertown, the quality will iron out potential differences in the quality of the data. So there's various sort of fields of, e of ecology and evolution that do use a comparative approach, whether it be phylogenetics or um, you know, meta-analysis of any particular question. Um, 
And you often get a criticism from people that study, you know, single species that, uh, you know, you're abstracting away the, you know, the important biological details by comparing all these species. Um, so, so what are your thoughts on, on, you know, what are the advantages of using the comparative approach and, and why is it, is it worth it? My, my own opinion is that uh, uh, it, it depends on the scale of the question. Mm. Uh, I think something like the Compadre, Compadre 3 database, uh, where uh, so far at least most of the information has been analyzed employing the average matrices for, uh, for the individual species, uh, answers the sort of general questions uh, that allow the field to, to advance in, in, in big steps. I think Phil Grime actually wrote a, a paper uh, many years ago about the importance of, uh, he, he made an analogy with, uh, with uh, golf. Uh, you don't putt from the tee. You, 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 when you start the game, you have to give it a long, long shot. You only do little putting shots when you are near the hole. <laughs> so these large databases, uh, in the first instance, I'm not saying that uh, you cannot uh, attempt to, to answer more specific questions. You can as the, as the database grows in size and quality. But at least in the initial stages, you are trying to answer broad questions. So it's important to take, uh, uh, to consider that uh, perspective, uh, to take that uh, view into account. Can I say something about this? I yes. mean, um, when we started, um, we could think of lots of reasons why patterns wouldn't appear. Um, and yet they did. Um, so... Um, you know, things like successional patterns when you compare different species or, um, uh, you know, just the way that different, sorry, when you compare different populations within a species um, and, uh, and and some other patterns as well. So um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, in, your, your question, Scott, about, about um, I can't remember the precise wording of your question, but it, it, you know, there are, there are patterns there that, that are pretty strong and that, that kind of pop out despite the fact that, you know, the matrices have different dimensionality, they have different sample sizes. I mean, you know, once you get into it, there are any number of reasons why you shouldn't really be comparing these things. And yet, uh, when you do, there are some very strong patterns, which it turns out are not artifacts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would echo that. I, I mean, I think this, I think that I haven't actually encountered this uh, this criticism of comparative studies that you mentioned, but it's actually it's sort of uh, obvious on the face of it that there are questions that you can only answer by comparing lots of species or lots of habitats or lots of conditions. And there are other questions that you can only answer by detailed examination of a single uh, uh, single situation, and neither of them is any better or any worse than the other one, and uh, you need to have the ability to do both. So what are the plans for um, the sustainability of the, of the databases in terms of funding and, and also um, personnel? Being at the Max Planck Institute, at the Max Planck Society, really, 
speaks by itself. It really gives it an extra level of feasibility in the long term for the database. The particular institute that, are, that we're at, the Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research, is, as Hal mentioned before, a world-level institution for data archiving at the demographic level. They have different databases. One of them contains human information from hundreds of countries. Another one contains live tables for uh, species across the animal kingdom. And I think that the critical aspect here is that the director of the Max Planck Institute, if I may say, I think he's a true visionary in that he sees the value in archiving and making all this data available. The Max Planck Society, of course, has a pretty robust economy. And one more aspect that secures the funding for Compadre and Comadre is the fact that starting January 2013, a new Max Planck Center will be open at the University of Southern Denmark. This Max Planck Center will be inherently associated with the Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research. The specificity of this center will be on evolutionary demography, and the plan is that the database Compadre and Comadre will stay mirror between the two institutions. Um, we're also having communications with Judith Czech as the one of our, co our collaborators in the U.S., so that we could potentially mirror the database with her institution. Um, so from a database archiving point of view, we're just now starting to get a robust platform, but the support that we're getting from the society and other collaborators and also the fact that every time we ask an author for additional information, we get a really positive response, makes me believe that obtaining funding for the long term would not be too difficult. Uh, just to second what Rob said about the, the importance of the support from the Max Planck Institute and then from this new uh, Max Planck Center in Denmark. Um, uh, the the, in, the Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research and its director, Jim Fopel, in particular, are very, very uh, much committed to the importance of databases of all kinds. And um, so that it, that speaks well for the, the persistence of this. The other thing that's worth pointing out is that um, there's a there's a rapidly increasing demand on the part of funding agencies uh, and journals for scientists to make their data available to other people. And um, this is going to just increase in, in the near future, not certainly not decrease. And so uh, that also, to me, indicates that, that there will be uh, sources of support that one can find for maintaining databases like this so that they actually become a resource for scientists that need a place to be able to archive their data to satisfy the requirements of funding agencies and journals. You know, five or ten, probably ten years, um, this database is presumably going to be much larger, um, and maybe there'll be competing databases of demographic uh, matrices. Um, what do you guys think is the, you know, the important questions that could be asked with, you know, 5,000 species or, you know, what are, what are the, what are the, what is the future going to be like um, for demographic research? I think going back to the question of uh, the type of studies that you can conduct, uh -huh. 
uh, I think that uh, as more temporal and spatial, as people uh, begin to, to contribute data sets with more replication for all sorts of different situations, the database will be able to tackle questions that are more specific. Mm. Like, like what? Well, uh, like uh, uh, the effect of uh, more, uh, more specific uh, environmental drivers of change mm. uh, in, in, if one is interested in conservation of uh, uh, alpine plants, for example. Right now, if you look at, uh, at plants of a particular growth form in a particular type of uh, habitat, you will only find a handful of them. Mm. But as, as you have more and more species for specific habitats, for specific life forms in that habitat with more replicates, you, you obviously can, can uh, address questions that are more and more specific. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To, to follow up on to follow up on that on that comment. Um, uh, I, so here's a here's an example. Um, uh, over over time, I've done uh, three studies that have looked at the demography of plants living in stochastic environments defined by fire. Uh, demographic responses of plants to fire are enormously important. Uh, in lots of different habitats in the world. And there's a handful of studies that have done that. If we had a lot of them, there would be a really interesting comparison to be made about how different types of plants, different growth forms of plants, different uh, latitudinal uh, distributions of plants respond to fire, and you could imagine being able to assemble that out of a collection of an increasing number of uh, of studies. That's something that would require, like uh, Miguel was saying, the uh, information on um, uh, multiple conditions for the plants, not just a single uh, a single matrix. The other thing, though, that you need to keep in mind is that. Uh, Predictions about what's going to be the interesting questions in the future are almost always futile. What <laughs> yeah, yeah. the right. interesting questions in the future were going to be, we'd be answering them now. So, yeah. for example, for example, when um, uh, Miguel and Jonathan started doing uh, started doing the uh, ternary plots of elasticities and seeing how those varied as a function of succession and other things. The elasticity calculations were less than 10 years old, five years old at that point. They'd, they had only been introduced a few years before. Before that, nobody would have said, if we had enough species, we can make a ternary plot of the components of elasticity because nobody knew about elasticities. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're if you go out ten or fifteen years from now, what are the new kinds of analyses that you'll be able to do? Mm -hmm. uh, there are some of us that get a big uh, a big kick out of inventing new analyses, and and who knows what's going to be available then? Yeah, I do. 
If I may add to that, I do venture one real big source of potential research, and that is the integration of different databases. I mean, this seems like a pretty logical step, particularly now that, as Hal mentioned before, more agencies and more journals are making it a requirement that you make your data available. There's been other initiatives at different levels of biological organization, like uh, TRI, which Scott, you interviewed Jan Skatke mm-hmm. um, at the ESA last, last summer, and there's, of course, GeneBank. There's a lot of libraries in R that provide layers for um, past climate and current conditions. There's layers also for habitat and for soil conditions. The integration of all these levels of organization, either biological or climatological, would definitely allow us to ask very specific questions, like the type of uh, questions that asked, that was being asked by, by how, what would be the effects of treatment X on population dynamics of a whole kingdom? We've been speaking with Rob Zawar Gomez, Miguel Franco, Jonathan Silvertown, and Hal Caswell about the Compadre Population Demographics Databases. For the Journal of Ecology podcast, I'm Scott Chamberlain.